What's up everybody, let's spin a little yarn. Hey, uh, so I know I'm not the only one that has seen the cover of the Navy Times. Um, it's been all over Facebook and I'm sure every other social media thing that exists. Um, about the McPond resigning. And I've gotten asked a bunch of questions about it um, through different avenues. And I'm not ready to talk about it. Um, mainly, not because I'm afraid to talk about it. Uh, I will when the time comes, but I... Because uh, I think it's constructive to do so once we actually know uh, what's happened. And all, what we know right now, and, you know, it doesn't look good, but what we know right now is what was put out in a Navy Times article, which... You know, it wouldn't be the first time that it's not all accurate, so I'm not ready to pass any kind of judgment as if I'm qualified to judge uh, on any of it, because I don't know what's true, what's not, what's in the middle. I mean, who knows? Um, I'm a big, big proponent based on experience, uh, both personally being, you know, somebody that's in the disciplinary proceedings and somebody that's on the receiving end. Uh, of some kind of corrective action or, or conversation or whatever that, you know, you don't always know until you know. That's why you do investigations. I talked about that in the NJP topic where I learned uh, when I was a young chief the importance of fully investigating something and going through the process because it's, it's shocking what you'll find out and the perspective that you'll get that you didn't have at the beginning and that does not match the narrative you invent in your head when you read some third-hand article uh, in, in some kind of periodical or you hear it third-hand from somebody that knew somebody that was there kind of thing. So I, I'm not ready to talk about that specifically yet. Um, but what I do want to talk about is the fallibility of leaders, right? Like. I've had some conversations with people who think that I got it all figured out and I don't. I, and I, I think I'm good and, and always, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I like to think that I make it pretty clear during this podcast and, and when I interact with sailors on a daily basis that I make it pretty clear that, you know, I don't know everything and that, um, Anytime I don't know that answer, I go ask for help. I, I go look it up. I, I figure out a way uh, to get that answer. But I'm also very, very willing to just be like, man, I don't know. Let's go find out, you know. Um, and there's plenty of things that I just haven't experienced that I, I need to learn that I know are weak areas. There's a lot of stuff I'm not good at, right? So I guess, I don't know. As soon as this happened, I started thinking about... Not just a fallibility of leaders, but specifically of chiefs. And there's a couple of different things that are kind of like weighing heavy on me right now. And one of them is the basically like the, the extremely high bar we set for our chiefs, which I 100% agree with doing. I, I think the bar should be extremely high. Um, but like I, I mean, like I always say in this the mission of this podcast is I don't think we do enough to equip the leaders going into those positions that that transition into the chief's mess every year 
I don't think we do enough as an organization, and this isn't any kind of an indictment of Chiefs' ability to train Chiefs. It's They do the best they can with what they have, and especially with the time that they have. But just like all of it, it's command-deliver training, right? How much time do you really have to not only develop them as technicians and, and in their trade, right, in their rate, but also as leaders? I mean, only got so much bandwidth, right? But um, I... I don't think we take it seriously enough. I don't think that we build them up enough so when they get in these positions, and especially when their behavior is validated by things like promotions, that when they get to those positions, we have these super high expectations of them, and they should have this incredible character and this, you know, sky-high integrity and all these things, and they should know how to lead, and they should conduct themselves in a, in a certain way, and... And it's like, are we equipping them to do that? It's like, I don't know. And, and it's not just with the leadership development education, right? But I was talking to my cob today about kind of the, the advancement system as a whole, right? And I, we see a lot in, and I'm sure it exists in the service community as well. And and, and again, not an indictment of anyone, right? But uh, in the nuclear trained communities, rank is used as a retention tool it's a fact of life right like they use uh the star enlistment program as uh and just meritorious advancement in general right i know a lot of uh nuclear trained guys and gals uh get e4 out of i want to say it's a school i'm not a school or power school something like that um and then they can star enlist at some point uh, either immediately after training or if they are picked up as an instructor, they can do it while they're there and they get a whole mess of money and then they get uh, another Chevron. So then they're, they're second classes before they ever see a ship, right? And it's, I got zero problem with the Navy throwing money at people to retain them uh, in, in the critical billets. But when you throw rank, which I believe can and should be separate, I think you can use retention bonuses. You could even make pay grades separate from rank, um, to, to retain those folks, but putting them in leadership positions when they're, they, they're not ready. They're just, they're not trained, let alone equipped or experienced enough and experience being the big one in this particular example and in a lot of other examples uh, where, you know, even the super high functioning uh, sailors that we see and that we want to retain, um, they, by virtue of their hard work and their, and their intellect and their, you know, performance are advanced, which is which is great, right? But when the system itself allows it to happen too quickly, there there just isn't a substitute for experience. And I can speak to this instance by experience. So when I was first eligible for chief based on my relentless pursuit of it, uh, I advanced quickly. I, I made first class in six years. I could have made chief at eight and a half. It, it was the first year I was eligible was I was at eight and a half years in the Navy. The reason I didn't in in my mind, and I, I mean, I wasn't on the board. I can't prove it. Right. But the glaring reason that I did not advance was uh, some advanced qualifications that I didn't complete. 
I didn't complete them because I was going through a really bad divorce at the time and I was a emotional wreck and I was a hot mess. Um, so I, I mean, my quals stopped for the time while I kind of got my personal life together. Had I completed those quals, ah, there's a very good chance I would have made chief that year. Quotas were big. I was, I would have been very competitive had I completed those quals. Uh, what I can tell you in retrospect, I was not ready. I was definitely not ready. Um, the year later, I made it. I was at nine and a half years, still quick, uh, and I was barely ready. And had I not been in the Chiefs mess that I was in, I would have had. I mean, I I struggled anyway, but more in. I, I took a lot of lumps because I got corrected a lot because I had a lot of really strong mentors making sure that I stayed within the lines and I was doing the right thing, right? But they they didn't give me an inch. Had I not been in that situation, I might have struggled harder and longer than I did. I, I might have failed real hard. Um, and that would have affected a lot of junior sailors. Like, luckily, I was in the cheese mess I was in, and they took very, very good care of me, and I credit them a lot with me being the chief that I am now, right? Um, but I can tell you, I was barely ready, and I don't know that without the safety net of that cheese mess, if I would have succeeded at all. Um, it would have been a long, longer, harder, more painful road had I made it either earlier or had I made it with without the support of those guys. So I, I was always previously a big proponent of, you know, promote the best and brightest, doesn't matter how long they've been in, whatever. Looking back, I mean, I just, the experience, regardless of how bright somebody is, regardless of the aptitude, regardless of anything else, there's a certain amount of experience that I, f I feel like it's required to succeed in certain leadership positions. And I think when we put leaders in positions before they have that experience, they, they get it eventually anyway, but they do it by failing. They do it by having a really hard time, by struggling, by you know potentially doing something wrong, breaking equipment, doing something that could hurt a, sailor, a junior sailor's career because they didn't have the experience they needed to know what to do, to know where to look, to know how to ask for help, to know all the things that we talk about all the time, right? Um, had I not had that safety net, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have enough experience at the time to to do all those things. If I was in a really junior Chiefs quarters, or if I was in a bad one, I mean, it would have been really difficult. And I don't know what would have happened. That I, I, you know, hate to even speculate. But that, so that, I mean, that's a piece of it that that is worrisome to me. Is there's a lot of folks making chief or or any pay grade based on a quota driven system when they're not ready i mean you look you look at quotas you all look at quotas because they precede advancement results and it gives you an indication of your chance right of your chances to advance so you'll see them every year there'll be undermanned ratings where you know 60 percent 70 percent 100 percent are advancing yeah, that's nuts. And we've talked about that in other topics about how it's a flawed system and the Navy's working on it, right? They've talked about an updated evaluation system and they're working on the advancement system, right? They just put out the those BMR exam or PMK exams and all kinds of stuff that they're experimenting with things because they're trying to make it better. So that's, I mean, that's all we can really ask for. 
and it will evolve during our careers I and mean, even beyond that until it's a it's a much more efficient system to put pe- the right people in the right places. Even with that experience, if we're not providing the leadership development training and education that's obviously missing, they're still going to fail. They're still going to be put in those positions without the right tools, but we're validating their behavior to make them think they have those. And so I feel like when we see leaders fail, you really need to analyze why that happened. Why are they doing those things? Why do why do why does a commanding officer that's been in the Navy for 20 years create a toxic command climate? It happens all the time, right? Or or personal misconduct. They've been around that long. They know everybody's looking at them. They know they should be leading by example and having integrity and, and operating with character and, and, and they know these things on paper, but why are they not doing it? Why do we consistently have the same issues? Why do we see the same headlines in the Navy Times where these leaders are falling on their faces? Why is it happening? Take a look at those cases. Read about them. Post-investigation, where when it all kind of came out, when the IG stuff comes out and, and the, the punishments doled out and, and they're the results. Of the Fat Leonard thing's really interesting. Let's talk about ethics. Like, that that case is, is pretty interesting. And it's still having effects on senior leadership, both active and retired, to this day. How did we get there? How was that allowed to happen? It, 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 it's an interesting case study. Uh, diving deeper into those things is something I, I, I want to do some kind of case evaluation stuff at some point as an episode, like, you know, redact the names and personal information and, and pick a case like that and tear it apart and try to figure out why. Why does that happen? And why do we allow it to happen? Blows my mind when we when we talk about how important these things are to us. And you can find it in more than one policy document, including the one that just came out about laying the keel, about how important these things are to us. But then we, you know, we put out a shiny policy document and put zero resources behind it, like tangible resources, money, people, education. You just don't see it happening. It never does. We put a new name on it, we release a policy document or an instruction, and then it fades to black. I don't understand. The last thing that I find really troubling is based on chief misconduct in in particular. And no, I'm not talking about the McPon. Uh, chief misconduct happens all the time. I'm sure you've heard about it. You may have even experienced experienced it first firsthand, where a, you know a chief got held accountable for something they were doing that you probably didn't know about until they got caught, <laughs> and the investigation happened, and then the punishment was doled out. And I know back in the day, there's so many stories about stuff getting swept under the rug, and it it used to happen. Doesn't anymore. I can tell you that right now. And if the evidence in the Navy, the Navy Times isn't enough, I mean, it's not getting hidden anymore. But the effect that that had, I mean, you got to think, so the, the most senior chief petty officer in the entire Navy is on the cover of the Navy Times resigning due to an investigation based on all these things. Again, none of it's been substantiated. The results aren't out from the investigation. We can't say anything for sure except a bunch of people said some stuff. That's it. But 
the what does the effect have on the the efficiency of the chief smiths as a whole and the the ability of chief petty officers to lead based on seeing something like that plastered across the cover of the navy times or some cmc got fired or some you know senior chief got arrested for x right I mean, it breaks my heart for one, I, because I love chief petty officers. I love being one. I believe in it. I am a Kool-Aid drinking, card carrying, just 100% believer in the power of it, in the message, in the CPO creed, and in all of it. But it only works if we live it. We can say a lot of things, and, and you hear it all the time during CPO 365 or, or uh, any leadership development training or during your midterm counseling or, or during the chief season. You hear all the things that we believe in, our mission, vision, and guiding principles, why they're important. We talk about all these things. We do it during phase two, during the chief season, initiation, whatever you want to call it. Spend six weeks creating an environment where you will have this become a part of you. But if we're not living it, it the system doesn't work. The mess loses strength because sailors don't trust us anymore and they lose faith in us. And... It's our cross to bear. I mean, I, I was asked once at a CPO 365 training that I was asked to speak at. Um, I helped a buddy of mine give training. And I was asked, like, what do you do when a chief screws up, when they get in trouble? Like, what do you do to not lose the faith of your division department? what have you like what do you do to 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 make sure that your chief's mess is still effective and, and my answer was basically you just own it i mean it it sailors are smart man like i i don't think for a second that they're gonna look at me and assume i'm the same guy but it does hurt the image of the chief's mess. It does make it harder to win over new sailors to retain sailors when they're like, well, the McPond's doing this or, you know, some CMC was doing this. And I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't help, <laughs> but I also have faith in their ability to discern between an effective leader and an ineffective leader. I have faith in their ability to allow me to earn their trust even if it's more difficult because of the things that they see I think it's something that you're transparent about that you own it that you talk about it like we are right now and that you should be doing it at your commands like don't duck this you can't it's too big it's everywhere and while i'm not going to talk about the specific case and and 
try to like, you know, oh, this is what happened and this is why it was wrong and all these things. Like, I'm not going down that road because the investigation just started. And I don't know anything about what's true and what's not true. But there are plenty of examples to look at and examine and see that this isn't new. Like, uh, chief misconduct is not new. And it kills me that it happens. I understand. I mean, we're a human organization. Uh, it's, it's something is going to happen at some point. But the frequency with which it happens and the, the fact that it happens with anybody beyond a young new chief... And then then it happens at like a CMC and above level. I mean, and COs and XOs. It's not it's not exclusive to the Chiefs' quarters. It's a senior leadership problem. It's a leadership problem, really. <sighs> Kills a little part of my soul every time I see it, man. I, I've had personal friends of mine show up on the cover of the Navy Times, and it melts my brain. I have a really hard time wrapping my mind around it. And I ask myself the questions that we've asked so far. Like, were they equipped? Did they have the training and education? And, you know, if we had started at the beginning and built it in throughout their entire career and ensured that we only validated the right things, would this have still happened? And I don't got a time machine. So I can't go back in time and figure it out. But what What if, you know, like, what if we fixed this problem? What if leadership development and education? And I, I, God, I, I feel like a broken record because I continue to say the same thing. Like, what if, like, what if we fix that? You know, like, I, I don't know. And I, as always, super interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. I know a lot of you are looking at this trying to digest it trying to I don't know make sense of it I guess I I met him more than once and I wouldn't have called it anyway uh, I'll just keep rambling uh, interested for feedback as always hit me up don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com uh, you can DM us on Instagram or Facebook message us at Don't Come Up The Shit Podcast. Uh, I got some really cool ones lately. I'm, I'm really glad that any part of this uh, helps you guys out. Uh, I highly encourage you to use it for any kind of training, even if it just starts a conversation about what an idiot I am. It's all good I, as long as it starts the conversation. That's what I had in my mind when I started this process was that this could start a conversation. This could, uh, could help people. Um, get the conversation going. It could help, you know, clarify things. It could, it could, you know, help prepare people for the leadership positions they're going to be put in so that they're better equipped, even if it's just a little bit, uh, to succeed in those roles and to provide you with a resource uh, to ask questions and get feedback. So if you ever need any of that, hit us up with all the mechanisms I already talked about. Uh, that's all I got. Thanks for listening and don't give up the ship.